Hey there, and what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another fine, fine episode of Legend of the Glorio Heroes, your premier Legend of the Galactic Heroes recap podcast. We're here to watch the original 1988 OVA, get sad about it, and think about the startling implications <laughs> of its messages and their stark relevance in 2018. I'm your host, G, and with me, as always, to help me work through these episodes is my co-host, Eero. Hi there. Yep, we're here at the, the premierest, the finest political commentary that really should not be relevant 30 years later, but boy is it. But somehow it is. Uh, as as we might seem to be implying, we are talking about um, episodes 19, 20, and 21. You have the, uh, the episode yes, title for right. this? Episode 19, The Young Fleet Goes Out. Episode 20, Bloodshed in Space. Episode 21, The Battle of Doria Star Zone. And then, dot, 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 end quote. Yeah. <laughs> so, as it might sound, as we were implying talking now, uh, these three episodes are... At- Boy, I feel like I say this every week. It's an interesting trio of episodes. <laughs> uh, we kind of we have some high highs and some low, very lows in this trio of episodes to talk about. Uh huh. Um, kind of runs the gamut, really. So uh, let's just roll into it. Yeah. So uh, we start off with episode nineteen. The Yang fleet goes out. We are uh, we are reminded that uh, the the, the rebelling nobles are holding Geiersburg yeah. Fortress and kind yes. of uh, determined to make their stand here. An Ezerlone type space fortress or something like that. Yes. And uh, Kirkyeyes is in charge of, uh, you know, pacifying the other regions. Right. While um, Reinhardt focuses on, you know, you know, the big target. But this is really just a springboard for Reinhardt to say, but what's going on in the FPA? And then the camera moves over to the FBA. Yes, yes. So we uh we 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 see we meet uh, Admiral Kubersley, who is the now uh, new uh, chief of the uh, FPA fleet. When he is approached by none other than one Commodore Andrew one Fork, fucking motherfucker, Commodore Andrew Fork. He's just out of the hospital. Uh, his yeah, eyes are from fine his, now, uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. After uh, getting uh, owned into a uh, coma, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Fork is uh, you know crawling up to uh, Kubrisel and he's like, "Hey, you're gonna let me back into the military, right? And I'm gonna have a privileged you know position in it, right?" And Kubrisel, sadly, what little of we get of him seems like a pretty all right dude. He. Uh, he seems, you know, kind of, you know, by the book, but by the book in a fair, a stern but fair way. And, you know, he's you basically just in, like... If you want back in the military, you know, you need a doctor's note, you need to go through the proper channels, uh, get your references in order. Right, and not only that, but uh, no special treatment. Like, you gotta follow the rules, and uh, it's absurd to think that you would deserve, you know, to, you know, uh, to get in differently from anybody else. And, uh... You know, Andrew Fork, being the real fucking special <laughs> snowflake he is, cannot handle the idea of taking the same level of responsibility as anybody else instead of being in some uniquely privileged position. And he responds like any rational person would and fucking shoots coercely. Fucking pulls a gun and 
opens fire at Kubersley. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> it's it's something all right. Uh FPA bodyguards kinda gotta yep. up their game because Let's use uh, bodyguards so someone can just walk up and shoot a guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe they live in like a more elegant civilized era where fucking assholes don't just walk up to uh you know, to generals <laughs> or admirals and just straight up shoot them. Ugh. But uh this assassination attempt is kind of the uh flashpoint of the coup d'etat in the FPA. Kind of like fucking montage of on this day this planet was occupied by coup forces. The next day this other planet was occupied by coup forces, etc. etc. Yes, it's it's very obvious that like the kind of the the coup, the rebellions that were kind of bubbling up that were kind of mentioned offhand in the prior episodes have have kind of come to a head in a way that is uh, far more drastic than I think either of us initially expected. Yeah. Uh, happened fast for like a multi-planetary coup. Yeah, yeah. For a space government, it it falls awfully quick. But <laughs> uh, this dumb scene of uh, Bukok getting the news and basically going, "Oops, I guess <laughs> I was warned about this, but I should have. I guess I should have done more. I don't know." I mean, look. I think Bukok was probably caught in that situation where, like, even if he trusts Yang, and Yang is probably yeah. right. There's only so much he can do in his yes. position without any proof. You There's know? a lot of red tape and such. But, uh, then, on the other hand, the fact that he allows himself to get captured maybe says that, I don't know, maybe he should have been a little bit more on top of things. Maybe. But, you know. This way, this way Yang happens. gets a chance to solve the problem. I right. Guess. So, Yang, who was completely aware that this shit was going to happen, is uh, very much on top of this shit in a way that... uh. Nobody else in the FPA is. Kubersley gets replaced with uh, Admiral Dawson, who uh, is referred to not with any particular adjectives, but the fact that the first thing they say is, uh, Admiral Dawson is... (laughs) And then their sentence just kind of trails off, which is maybe not the best way to describe the replacement for your head of the entire FPA fleet in such a time of crisis. Yeah. Uh, kind of calls up uh, Yang at Ezer Loan and says, Hey, Yang, you gonna solve this problem? Right. Uh, Dawson, who is, for some reason, really dumb and petty and deeply jealous of Yang because Yang is, I guess, young and successful, things that young people aren't allowed to do, is... Uh, kind of making a very weak attempt at, you know, throwing Yang under the bus here, but it doesn't work at all because this is Yang Wen Lee we're talking about. He already had plans for this, so... <laughs> he's immune to, to petty adults. Yeah. And he's about to, you know, uh, uh, embark with his fleet to put down these rebellions when uh, he finds out that, uh, actually, no, we don't need to do that anymore because the old government has already been overthrown. Oops. Well, not his fault, I guess. No, but, uh... We There's are... this great scene where he, yeah. he like, spends, like, two minutes laying out his entire perfect plan and then immediately gets the news that it's obsolete. <laughs> yes, it was... It, yes, it's, uh... It's pretty fantastic when Yang is just kind of, like, painstakingly explaining how his perfect plan is going to go. And the more and longer it goes on, the more you're, like... 
either this is going to fail horribly or he's never going to get the chance Look, to use this plan yeah, at all. I mean, that rules of storytelling, right? You like you never explain the plan beforehand because unless it goes wrong because otherwise it's a spoiler. Like <laughs> right. However, Yang does do something that uh basically allows him to uh maintain uh, a, a legitimate chain of command and it is uh revealed what it is specifically he spoke to Bukok about prior to the rebellion. You know, if you remember That's right. uh, when he was in the park with Bukok and he was like, hey, something's going on. I need I, a thing. I need a thing from you. And, you know, Bukok's like, well, boy, I hope it never comes to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out that Yang received Bukok's verbal agreement that in the case where the FPA has fallen and uh, been taken over by a rebel government, Yang is to be given full authority and control over the loyalist FPA fleets. So, essentially, you know, it's not written down on paper, but basically, both Yang and Bukok can corroborate uh, this agreement, which, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you shouldn't even have to make that agreement, but like, what it does is it lends an air of legitimacy to Yang's Yang's, uh, faction. And in many ways, maybe that speaks to Yang beginning to get a better understanding that he cannot just play, you know, master tactician, but there is also a politics game here to be played that he also needs to master. Having a legal claim, however tenuous to a, to this, to his actions coming up. Right. Because he's going to need it because he is now dealing with the new FPA government, yes. otherwise known as the National Salvation <laughs> Military Council. Yeah, who uh, pop up on the monitor and read out their new constitution. Yes, and, you know, there are some, you know, look, there's some okay things in that constitution, like, let's hang all the politicians. <laughs> but also, political political activity and free speech are regulated. Yes. Martial law is in effect. All spaceports are under our control. Uh, speaking ill of the military is illegal. <laughs> so, welfare know. is abolished because it's weakening oh. the public. Right, right. They abolish welfare. So you know, some good, some bad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but more more surprising than the uh, takeover by our new government is uh, its leader. None yes. other than Admiral Greenhill. Yes. Uh, Frederick father of, dad. Yes, father of Frederick Greenhill. It's it's a it's a tough situation because you can kind of tell in many ways that um a lot of our characters have had, had respect for Admiral Greenhill. Like Right, that Greenhill has up till now been shown to be a pretty decent guy, you know. Um we're not like necessarily showing like oh he's a, like you know some super genius or a humanitarian, but by all you know intents, he's shown himself to be a decent and, comp- and com- competent you know leader of men. He was on the short list of pretty good guys in the FPA, right? Which grows ever shorter by the week. <laughs> but you know, it's it's interesting because at first you're like, why would Greenhill do this? But then. Here's the thing, right? You kind of think about, you know, you think about what the National Salvation Military Council is saying, and you're thinking about what are their primary motivations. And 
you can see how someone like a you know a moderate like Greenhill could not only get swept up into it, but would even volunteer to lead the whole thing right. because assumes it could be a moderating force. Right, because Greenhill, like many of the more experienced and intelligent you know FPA commanders, knows that the politicians in the FPA suck. They really suck. They're the worst. Like, I don't know, man, like, John LaBello and, like, that other dude are, like, maybe the only, like, kind of not shitty politicians. Yeah, well, those are the type of people being targeted by the coup, so. Yes, yes. Meanwhile, Job Trunix, you know, managed to get away. Gone into hiding. It's almost as if he was completely aware this was going to happen and maybe even had a part in it. Who could say? (sighs) Who could say? I mean, I'm not saying that he did. We don't have any evidence, but. Yeah, it's it's that interesting thing where you know Greenhill has taken leadership because, in many ways, you can kind of sense that the other members of this coup are the kind of like hot-headed young, you know, yeah, uh, officers. People, like, people like Andrew Fork, right? People like Fork who are impulsive and prone to like you know violence as their first option. And if you are an Admiral Greenhill in this situation, and you are approached by these young upstarts and they're saying hey we're going to do a lot of bad shit but we're also going to hang the politicians i can see why you would think to yourself you know these guys are too extreme but maybe i can i can push them in the right direction they respect me and i can use that you know we have some more you know we have some interesting moments here at this end of the episode where predictably yang doesn't do anything to frederica despite the fact that like Greenhill himself, Admiral Greenhill himself, you know, the senior Greenhill uh, literally makes the assumption that, you know, her daughter or his daughter will likely be imprisoned and that she is no longer a a daughter to him, you know, in the name of duty. Right. And she, Uh, she thinks she'll be dismissed, uh, but Yang's good enough for that. Yeah. You know, Yang's like, you're a capable officer. You are like my adjutant. You'll. You're Make competent. sure you're competent. I need your help. Right. Like, I can't fucking take care of myself. Like, I might be a master tactician, but I am literally a child and everything <laughs> else in life. I need you and Julian to continue being like my weird surrogate, like caretakers. So, uh, you know, Frederica stays around. Yep. Uh, but and, uh, more interestingly than that is Shen-Kop. a conversation, yes, with Shenkop. And Shenkop. In many ways, I think, is not only a quote-unquote voice of reason, but maybe he is the guy on Yang's bench who, weirdly enough, with this episode, perhaps is Yang's Oberstein equivalent. Yeah, yeah, totally. He's the guy advocating for Yang to, you know, push as hard as he can and take control because you know that the FPA brass is worthless and this all maybe we should just burn it all down and Yang, you're you're a good enough guy to make something of what's left and turn everything around. Yeah, basically Shenkop is the man in Yang's bench who's willing to or you know with, when we talk about episode 21, we're going to have a long conversation <laughs> about Boy. the like the paradox of like being the man who's willing to make the hard decisions, but I'm willing to give... I don't know if he's willing to make the hard decisions, but he's willing to advocate for someone else to make the hard decisions. Well, you say that, but, you know, I do think... I know. I'm I'm willing to be more charitable to Shenkop, because I think Shenkop has shown that, you know, 
for maybe some of his flaws, he is a man of integrity. He is a man of his word. Like he swore yeah. he was going to help Yang, and he's surprise, surprise. You know, maybe one of the most loyal men in Yang's bench. I think when he makes this suggestion, he's not doing it out of. I don't think he's making it out of a selfish desire for power. Oh, no. I think, of course not. Shankop genuinely believes in what he's about to advocate, and what he's telling Yang is, okay, yes. The National Salvation Military Council is bad. They are bad. Nobody is denying that. But a bad, destructive thing can sometimes... Can destroy something that's even worse. Yes. And they said what their plan is, is they are going to hunt down and, you know, if not hang, at least imprison all of the FPA politicians who were responsible for, you know, the shit fit that the FPA is currently in. And... What Shenkop tells Yang is, what if we just wait a little bit? Like, Yang, you are the most, you know, the most brilliant commander the FPA has ever seen. You will put down, down this rebellion. Nobody's doubting that. Inevitably, you are going to win this war. So? Just let this chaos run for a little bit. And, yeah, uh... and so that way, we don't have to get our hands dirty. Nobody has to say, oh, Yang the... Yang the tyrant who killed the politicians. No, instead it's Yang the hero who swooped in and saved the FPA. Oh, whoops, all the politicians are dead. Who will lead us? Maybe Yang Wenli. Uh, and there's a, I, will, I gotta admit, there's a part of me that when I hear Shen Kup's argument, I'm like, I mean, is he wrong? The FPA government yeah, does really fucking suck. I mean, yeah. Yang refuses to play along, though. Right, but this is the thing that reminds us all why Yang Wenli is such a great character. Why Yang Li is the best boy. Yes, because Yang, he basically tells Shen Kop, like, you're right. Like, the FPA government does suck. It hella sucks. I have a million problems with the FPA government, but I will fight to protect it. Because what good is a democracy that is so fragile that... Yeah. It can be swept away just like this. Like, what are we fighting for then? And I think more than anything, like, you know, if for some reason you made it this far and you think Yang just talks a big game, like, <laughs> this is your proof uh, that Yang truly believes in what he's saying. He was, truly believes yeah. that democracy, that we have to believe in the system. From a certain point of view, he's just like, the phrase, like a doomed moral victor at this point, though, right? Like... I mean, that's kind of the worry, right? It's because here's the thing. Yang is the kind of character who, I guarantee you, is going to keep doing good things, is going to keep being a good person. Yeah. And I'm willing to bet he will be punished each and every single time for it. Yep. Totally. Like, he has been so far. Like, yeah, so what else? You know, why would it change now? But, also, like, but that's why we love Yang Wenli so much, right? Like, Totally, totally. And because that's the thing, right? Like, He's going to beat this rebellion. He's going to reinstitute the FPA government. And how much do you want to bet that very same government is going to screw him over the first chance they get? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I don't think that's even a question. But you know what? He's going to do it do anyway. It because the, according to his principles, it's the right thing to do. And... and Right. And not only is it the right thing to do, but, you know, this is why... This is why the FPA is worth fighting for, because it is a system where things can change. You know, this is not the empire. This is not the empire which has existed in the same political state of being for right. for centuries. You know, 
Ideally, a democracy is built so that its legislation can be changed, you know? Right? Yeah, it's... You know what? In 2018, sometimes it's it's very hard yeah, to... Uh, that's, that's why this show is particularly relevant. <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes hard to believe in, you know, the... The merits of a functioning democracy, but elections coming up, maybe things will be better in a month from now. I don't know. You know what? Tune maybe. in to Legend of the Glory of Heroes episode <laughs> eight, where you know Jay we might have nine. you know, or episode yeah. nine, we might have some very pointed things to say about democracy as a political system, depending Boy. on how the elections go. But uh, <sighs> let's let's wait till that happens before we get there. So yeah. the Young Fleet goes out. <laughs> yep, yep. There you go. The young flick goes out to quell the coup. But yes. So, uh, you know, kind of an interesting, you know, episode just because I think we knew that the FPA was going to get destabilized, but I don't think we expected things to happen this quickly. I don't think we expected things to go this catastrophically. Yeah, definitely not. You know, the, the FPA has just taken so many blows at this point. Like, I thought... There's no way they could survive something like, you know, this catastrophic. It's Although, like, like, it does bear mentioning that, like, um, it's a little hard to tell sometimes just because of how the show is presented, but a fair amount of time is passing. Like, I believe the Battle of Omelitzer was the prior year, and now we're in April. Um, stuff's been going on, just... Right, that's a that's a good point. You know, it's not like these events are happening in sequence, but still, you know, less than a year is not a lot of time to recover from yeah a thirty million casualty war. So, right, uh, yep, and so episode twenty, I guess. Yeah, so we move on to episode twenty. Uh, what bloodshed in space was yeah. that? Bloodshed in space, heavens of blood. I think our subtitle said. Yes, yes. I have here in my notes, heavens of blood, which I don't know, <laughs> maybe is a better name, but uh, but yeah. So we open up to a summary of the Re- you know the rebel forces. They have sixteen thousand ships, and uh, what I have here, I don't know if this is quite accurate, but it says here in my notes, X-ray beam gun. Uh, the F- Geiersburg Fortress has an X-ray beam gun. With an output of 740 million megawatts. How does that compare to Easy Alone? Do they That's ever say a really that? Really good or... question. <laughs> because I don't know. X-ray beam gun is a uh, is a good ass name. Anyways, so we open up with uh, Braunschweig, leader of the you know the rebel nobles, basically addressing all of his admirals and like being like, Lay "Oh, I got it." Yes, yes, Braunschweig's master plan that is truly the equal of Reinhard is he's going to, uh, he's basically going to fight nine Pokemon trainers on this bridge, and (laughs) Reinhard's going to battle them all, and by the time he reaches Geiersburg, he'll be weakened. Merkatz is like, you know, he could just walk around those nine Pokemon trainers, right? Well, not only is that, but Merkatz even argues... Uh, you know that because we are the ones on the defensive, he could attack one, just hang out there and recover, attack the next, hang out and recover. Go back to the focus center. Right. Like, there is literally, like, we're the ones that can't leave. Like, like also, all you're you doing is... Also, you could just attack is... us directly, and, right. and or all just our ignore... forces here are over there, and 
we'll be screwed. Right, like essentially your plan is going to split the fleet and let our fleet get bloodied piece by piece while he is the one who has the capability to recover. Mm-hmm. Which I suppose in Braunschweig's favor he's like huh, I uh I didn't think of that. What's your suggestion, Murkatz? <laughs> then we we get uh some other Empire dudes right, who are so, like, no, I think, I think Braunschweig's got a good idea. Well, it's not even that, but, well, to, to give it some context, so Birdcats basically argues that what we should actually do is treat each of these nine outposts as essentially a listening post with, like, a scout fleet, mm-hmm. and that uh, when Reinhardt attacks, we just fucking cut and run and uh, eventually kind of draw them in, and we try to decide this in, you know... A, uh, a decisive battle here with all our consolidated forces. You know, it's it's not an ideal plan. It's not even that you know, in, you know, in, in, uh, innovative of a plan. But considering the resources we have to work with, you know, our best bet to take down Reinhardt is just to hit him with everything we have in one place instead of splitting up our fleet. But then we have one Admiral Stodden who's like, actually, what we should do is split our fleet in half. And then half of it go capture Odin while Reinhardt is uh-huh. over here in space. And, you know, wanna, because... yeah. sorry, go ahead. Hi- I do want to highlight uh, another character here. Count Alfred von Landsberg. I think when we were watching, I was just like, this is just the Empire's Andrew Fork. Oh, yes. It's yes. like sh- shitty yes man. Who's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Right, I'm right. So overflow with admiration for you. Yes, yes. There are some shitty, like other ad- admirals and officers in this uh, meeting who are just like, just jumping at the chance to uh, suck some dick. <laughs> Unfortunately, Braunschweig decides to go with Stodden's plan. Yep. And uh, then we had this great conversation where, like, I think Murkatz's adjutant is like, "Why didn't you disagree? Like, that's a stupid plan. We all know it's a stupid plan." And Murkatz is just like, fuck it. Like, the second. They'll never listen to me anyway. Right. Like, A, they'll never listen to me. And B, the second that those dumbass admirals came up with that plan, we have to write them off as assets immediately. Like, like <laughs> they are no longer, like, they are no longer viable assets in, in our planning. We just have to come up with a new plan now with, you know, our new, you know, the yeah. new numbers we have to work with. And, uh, we had a good conversation where, uh, Reinhardt calls in Mittermeier, talk right. to him. You studied under Stodden, right, at the academy? Uh, yes, yes, yes. He asks uh, Mittermeier, uh, basically, so uh, what do you remember about Stodden? And, uh, and Mittermeier's like, you know, he's he has a good handle of theory, but, like, he is way too beholden, you know, to uh, to establish planning, you know. And we called him succumbed to theory <laughs> Stodden. Oh, what a great dumb nickname. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a fantastically dumb nickname, especially from a guy who is known as the Gale Wolf. Yes. But uh, basically, Reinhardt's like, uh, all right, well, Mittermeier, you deal with this, okay? You've dealt with this guy before. Right. So uh, so Mittermeier uh, decides to, you know, uh, to, to take the fight to Stodden. And uh, Stodden's plan is... Uh, or, or not Stodden's plan. Uh, Mittermeier's plan is basically to uh, set up a gigantic minefield between him and Stodden. Yep. And then just kind of hang out in the back. And the reason this works is because 
A, Stodden seems to be suffering from the stomach flu. Yeah, space the, tuberculosis. Yeah, I don't know. Mega what stomach the fuck flu. Is- but also because Stodden is surrounded by a bunch of young, impulsive officers who are all like, hey, wait, he's just standing over there. We got to go fight him. Like, he's a coward. Let's go take the fight to him. And in Stodden's credit, he's like, no, you idiots. It's a trap. Like, that's exactly what he's expecting us to do. But, but Stodden, everyone is so hard on, no, 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 we need to go get him. Right. So basically, like, the rest of Stodden's officers are all like too hot-headed to listen to reason and, you know, clearly do not respect the chain of command. So uh, not only that, but then they get fed false info, which uh, convinces right. Stodden to get hasty. You know, it's it's almost as if Mercats had the right idea because uh, Stodden takes the fight or tries to take the fight to Mittermeier and promptly gets completely and utterly destroyed. <laughs> 70% casualties, I believe. Yes. Uh, which forces Stodden to, uh, to retreat to uh, Rentenberg Fortress, yes. I believe. Another floating space fortress. Yes, yes. But uh, this one, um, they cannot afford to blow up. They need to capture. So they yes, will need to Reinhardt make says, a... Uh, they'll make a good beachhead for Geisberg. Yes, so they need to uh, attack through uh, with by infantry. Yes! But yes. uh, unfortunately, Rentenberg Fortress is uh, guarded or led by, um, <laughs> you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Oblesser. Uh, yeah. yeah. Otherwise Admiral known as... Oblesser. Is he an admiral? I think so. I mean, he's, he's a commander, High, but... High Admiral Oblesser. Okay, sure then. High Admiral Oblesser, otherwise known as the Armored Grenadier Commander. <laughs> And the reason for this is because this dude, like, for those of you who have watched uh, Game of Thrones, this dude is basically the fucking mountain in space. (laughs) Uh, This guy is, like, fucking eight feet tall, got this big-ass red beard, and his axe is, like, three times bigger than everybody else's. Just fucking murdering dudes. Speaking of axes, we finally get to see the the Imperial... uh, Infantry power, power armor. armor, which is some gr- good shit because their helmets are just skulls. Um, <laughs> they got Zaku and, tubes. And everybody fights with axes because, like, you know, at this As, point in the yeah. show, like, the show assumes that the viewer, like, understands that Zephyr particles are just kind of standard protocol. Right. I mean, we saw in the taking of Ezer alone that you just flood poison Zephyr particles, someone pulls the trigger on their gun. And everyone dies. Right. I mean, the thing I just want to do appreciate about this moment is that the show has so much faith in its viewers to remember this that they don't even, right. like... They never that, say it. Right, uh, they never say it out loud anymore. Like, there's no character in this episode that's like, why do we have to attack by melee? Because everybody in this episode is an experienced, like, military commander or soldier. Like, they just know. Like, you don't need to, like, send in a recon team to check if they filled the area with Zephyr particles. If they're preparing for a boarding action, they will have already done so, and you should fight assuming as much. Right. That's so, why we send in people with power armor and battle axes. Yes. But, and uh, crossbows. And crossbows, yes. But uh, unlike Shenkop and his boys, it goes really, really poorly for uh, Mittermeier and Royenthal's uh, embarkment team, because Ovalisser is just kind of... Kills like three dozen people by himself. Like, chopping his way through their entire invading army. 
He's fucking stacking bodies like waist high. <laughs> he's just completely destroying. And like Mittermeier and Ran- and Royenthal are like, huh, yeah, I guess this is kind of how this was going to go, huh? And yeah, they're kind of like, well, you think we could take him? No, God, no, of course not. <laughs> like, you look at that man. Look at the, look at the size of that axe. I don't want to fuck with him. Like, you know, just like the Taking of Israel alone, just a fantastic, you know, episode where you just get to watch this man fucking cleave his way through half a goddamn army. Fucking classic 80s yeah. anime violence. Like, and, like, Reinhardt is basically like... <sighs> what a brute. Right, what a brute. Mittermeier, Roenthal, like, can you guys do something about this? And then, you know, they put Ovalister on the comms, you know, to, like, try and convince him. Like, hey, can you just, like surrender because we're gonna win eventually just we want to stop throwing our men into this fucking horrible meat grinder yeah and this one of lesser makes the fucking grave mistake of insulting reinhardt's sister oh well and uh that makes that turns Uh, you know reinhardt to angry reinhardt who is perhaps not as dangerous as angry yang who has submitted to the power of the satsui no uh, yes, but angry Reinhardt still a force to be reckoned with because uh, he tells uh, he tells uh, what Mittermeier and Royenthal to kill alive. Ca- yes, yes, or no, yeah, or was it captured alive or was it was it as godly as first? He's like, I just kill him as godly as possible because he's such a brute, right? But, right. Uh, then Ovasaur is like, oh, you're. <laughs> you're sissy like your sister right right and then he's Reinhardt like Reinhardt gets mad he's like yeah. fucking take him alive I will cut out his tongue with my bare hands yes and so Reinhardt and Mittermeier are like well I guess we better get down there <laughs> you know and so they, they get down there where they're like man boy there sure are a lot of f- our, our fucking bodies here but uh they come up with a truly ingenious uh, <laughs> trap mean- to yeah, capture Ovalister. The old Team they, Rocket special. <laughs> yes, the old Team Rocket special where Mittermeier and Royenthal stand in the middle of the hallway and are like, hey, Ovalister, you suck. Come get us. Which Ovalister totally fucking falls for and then falls into a pitfall trap that was dug by <laughs> Mittermeier and uh, Royenthal, or excuse uh... me, Jesse and James. Who's Meowth in the Empire? <sighs> is that Oberstein or something? Is it Binfield? Binfield. Is Binfield Meowth? Binfield Meowth. <laughs> Binfield, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, sure, Binfield spent years learning English in the loft of a casino. Anyways. So they finally anyway, bring in yes. bring in Ovalister and basically Oberstein's like, actually, let me do something with him. And yeah. you know, Reinhardt being Reinhardt's like, well, uh, I, so I really, really wanted to cut out his tongue, but I guess Kirky Eyes would frown on that. So, I, you know, on some level, I feel like Kirky Eyes might frown even more on. Let's what? let Oberstein just do whatever the fuck he wants. Alright, sure. You're probably right, because what Oberstein do- does is some pretty ratchet shit. But, uh... Oberstein basically lets Ovalister go. He's like, yeah. you're free Later, to go. Guys. 
You know, he he makes a very like you know token attempt to be like, well, uh, I why don't you work for us? I guess. And Overlister is like, uh, no, eat a dick. Okay, and Oberstein is like, oh I darn, I guess oh, no. we have to just let you go home. And so Overlister returns, but maybe Overlister conveniently forgot that the Empire does not take well to prisoners. <laughs> yeah, really does not take well to uh, admirals who lose fights and then return alive because. Bradshaw like basically says the moment Oblister shows up, like, why did you return alive? Why did they you let must, you return? You must be a traitor! Right, they must have bought you off, or they must have paid you. You must, you know, be here to fucking steal our secrets or some shit. Obviously, the only option is to kill you. And Oblister doesn't... just fucking shoot him in the head. Right, right. Well, not before Oblister fucking, like, batters his way through fucking, yes. you know, half a dozen dudes. But, uh, yeah, then, uh... Yeah, I guess shot in the brain, shot in the dome, just fucking yep. one in the head, and uh, it's... But everybody knows... Look, everybody a lot of people, yeah. look, a lot of people fucking die in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, but the way Oblister goes out is... Uh, pretty graphic. Pretty graphic, pretty brutal. It's... Like you see, you see the bits of brain fly out, and his body like twitching on the floor. Yes. And in some ways, I think it's intentional to show how gr- how like gruesome his death is, because uh, of what you were alluding to, Ira, which is that uh, like they they, kn- they all know that Ovalister is like, let's say, a simple, straightforward man, um, to put it charitably, but uh, if he turns traitor. If a man with such moral fiber as him turned traitor, who knows who else could be a traitor in the Lipstadt League? And so, right, Oberstein's plan to sow discord. Right, and not only that, but a lot of people were loyal to Ovalister. Like they make it, they specifically mention a line where Ovalister commanded like a very deep loyalty in the men who followed him. Right. So, like, not only have you sown discord. In the sense of, oh shit, if Ovalister was a traitor, then anybody could be a traitor. But then you also have an entire faction of soldiers who were like, what? No, eat a dick. Like, Ovalister would never be a traitor. I can't believe you shot our commander in the head. Right, like... How could you possibly think he was a traitor? Right, so it's kind of this beautiful double whammy of of discord sown in the ranks of the nobles and, or, you know, the rebellion. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely that thing of, like, you know... Oberstein's methods are, you know, pretty shady, but, you know, in moments like these, they certainly do get results. Yep. Speaking of results, so 21, uh, which opens with, Shen, like, just a montage of Shenkop on the ground, <laughs> retaking planets for, that, for Yang's fleet. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. This uh, episode twenty-one, the Battle of Doria Star Zone, then uh, begins with Shenkop's uh, what they call Shenkop's Blitzkrieg, where he uh, manages yeah. to end the rebellion on Shampool in three days. You know, and uh, Shenkop being Shenkop is you know lauded as a hero and gets all the ladies and all that, that sounds stuff. Like that sounds like a lot, but honestly, like or rather, that sounds like it's very, very, very fast. But that also, sounds like, unbelievably fast. To I be think funny. if you go by like numbers that they've stated so far, like no planets 
in Legend of Black so far are like population wise equivalent to 21st century Earth. Like yes, yes, most of the planets Titan's got like two, three billion people. Well, I think it's that the planets are just you know yes more sparsely populated, but. Also, in some ways, I think the way battles have gone in Legend of the Galactic Heroes so far is that they tend to swing hard one way or the other. Yeah. And not only that, but because of how definitive they are, they are quite good at breaking the back of one uh, army or the other. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely believe, like, Shenkop lands on Shampool and, you know, destroys, you know, the majority of the, you know, the rebel forces in one battle. I can definitely see the rest of the rebellion just be like, ah, fuck this, you know? Right. There's a great splash image of Shenkop getting showered with kisses by the local ladies. Yes, yes. I mean, look, Shenkop is, has oh. always been, well, by the end of this episode, he will have been the second smoothest motherfucker <laughs> in this whole show. But, uh, but yes, including a great scene of him returning to the uh, the captain's, like... Covered meeting room covered in lipstick, which I initially oh. thought was blood. I was like, man, shit kind of fucking <gasps> tore through those FPA rebels. But then I was like, oh, wait, those are totally lipstick marks. Yes. But uh, he arrives just in time to uh, to meet Commander um, Bagdashu, who says he escaped from Luglanju's fleet. Uh, in case, uh, I guess we didn't really mention this, but... Uh, uh, Commander Luglanju was assigned by um, Admiral Greenhill to take down Yang's fleet. So yes. Luglanju is the man who's been chosen for the job. Quite frankly, from the moment we see him, we can kind of tell he is probably not the man to uh, yeah, to fell Yang Wenli. But and I mean, everyone else also knows that he's super shady. Yes, but yeah. So Bagadashi shows up. He's like, "Yeah, guys, I." I uh I, I ran I away. Scared. I barely escaped. I have information for you. You should listen to my intel. Uh, where is um? Yeah, everyone, shoot, everyone, everyone I, shoot I can't read the smudged like mark message on my hand. Where, <laughs> where is Frederica Greenhill? Oh, you know we uh, left Freddy's alone because we just can't trust her after her father. Started leading the coup to right. So you know, basically, fucking everybody figures out like from the moment he shows up that Bagdashu is a spy who is specifically sent by Luglanju mm-hmm. to try and uh, assassinate. assassinate Yang Wenli. Yes, but uh, when instead we kept we kept Frederick Greenhill hiding yes. in the med bay in the I med guess. bay that thankfully tracks both uh, a person's HP and MP. <laughs> Well, it's, it's a great visual yes. gag. Um, reminds me of like earlier, many episodes ago, uh, at some point, someone's like, we're getting a message on the on the monitor, and the monitor just says ABCDEFG. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, but yes, there's a monitor in the med bay that just says like health points and mental points, which... Look, if I'm going to get into a, like, a med pod, I want it to restore me to full HP yeah, plenty. Yeah, of course. Um, what more yes. could you ask, really? But yeah, so Shenkop... Gets around it by just putting Bagdashu in a sleep pod and setting it for, you know, some Futurama ass like year three thousand shit, and uh, right, he's like, oh, he was he was quite tired, and this is, uh, yeah, they did 
bring up the tank beds like what episode yeah, two? Yeah, yeah, on the Empire of, side. Yeah. Uh, isn't it how great you can get a full night's sleep in two hours? Uh, yes. But uh. But. But no, yeah. Pick up just turns <laughs> the dial. <laughs> Essentially, yes. But um. You know. Uh, so you know, once that's been taken care of, you know, Shenkop and Yang are like, "All right, well, what now?" And Yang has a great. Gives a great speech about the fight they're about to fight, the battle they're about to fight, where he's like, Men, this is a good for nothing battle, but it is not a battle worth losing. <laughs> and, um, right. So the battle kind of begins with uh, Luglanju attacking with. Yang Wenli. <laughs> Yang's, Yang's speech is also like, very well contrasted with the, the uh, commander on the other side, founder of the 11th uh, yes, Fleet, Luglanju. I think, given. Yeah, Luganju, given the whole, like, the destiny of our homeland depends on this, and you all must devote your body and souls for our country and sacrifice ourselves, and we will honor your devotion and sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, it's, you can very much tell Luganju is the, is the, uh, the rare breed of fascist officer who actually has completely bought into his own bullshit. It's all this like, oh, we gotta defend the lands, blah blah blah, patriotism and and spirit and etc. You know, whereas like Yang Wenli gets that like, actually, this is a horrible battle. We are fighting our own people. The fucking empire is literally plotting to destroy us next door, and we are busy. This is a waste of our time, but I guess we got it. Yes, it's a good for nothing battle. Yang kicks off the battle by sending in one Gwen Van Hue to uh, split <laughs> the uh, the rebel FPA fleet in half. And I don't know if I trust Mr. Van Hue. I don't know. I very much like Mr. Van Hue because I mean, sure, but also I think mm. I think Yang needs a bitten field on his side. Just somebody who's sure. like, "Fuck this shit. We're going in and we're fucking up everybody. Shoot everything. Because- Fire all guns." <laughs> Yes, Gwen Van Hugh, just, uh, I don't know if we met him up till now, but he's just a commander under Yang's uh, command, and he just fucking, his job is just fucking throw himself into the middle of the rebel fleet as fast as he can, and then just indiscriminately fire in every single direction. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, look, Yang knows what he's doing, and I think this, I like this episode a lot, because I think this episode kind of begins to show that Okay, fine. Yang does not have 12 amazing, young, hot, handsome admirals, you know, that, you know... He knows how to manage... Yes, he knows how to manage his fleet, and, you know, his bench isn't bad. Like, it's not, you know, look, guys like Kazanlu and Edwin Fisher are never going to, like, you know, beat a, you know, beat a Mittermeier or a Kirky Eyes in a fight. They ain't gonna be called the Gale right. Wolf. But also, the FPA doesn't need stupid nicknames. Unless the stupid nickname is Miracle yeah. Young, then it's a fantastic nickname. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, young, yeah. Though the, there are the fighter pilots who all have call signs that are like... Oh, calls. yes, yes. Well, hey. Whiskey, Walker, Roman, <laughs> Applejack. <laughs> Look, the pilots are allowed to do that because, you know, they're pilots. You know, they, they, they gotta yeah, have call signs, but, you know, FPA commanders are better than that. <laughs> yeah. Young does leave half of his fleet. In command of yes. Attenborough, Dusty yes. Attenborough. Our good, good friend Commodore Dusty Attenborough is assigned a. I'm not sure if it's actually half or if it's like. I guess in all Enough. those like you know those all those heads up displays they show in this episode, it kind of kind of looks like a third or maybe even like a quarter to be honest. But 
Anyways, sure. yes, she sends off a chunk with Dusty Edinburgh to basically, you know, basically Young is pulling off a very, I don't know, in my opinion, very risky play here that works out for him in the end, but... It's it's what the FPA was doing in the episode one that allowed Reinhardt right. to beat them, except, except this time Young is right. in basically, charge. Basically, Young uses the same tactic that the FPA has used in the past of splitting his fleet and trying to uh, encircle the rebel fleets except young understands that you can't just split your fleet into half and just expect the enemy to walk into the middle and get overwhelmed so what young does is he have dust he has dusty kind of basically hold an entire flank on his own just kind of harass uh one whole flank yes. of the rebel fleet all right there's that great bit of on just on the monitor the moon yes before. yes you know you have look Dusty learned from the best, so yes, Dusty's <laughs> fleet kind of pulling an old Yang Wen Lee of uh, <laughs> repeatedly move back and forth in place <laughs> to uh, harass the enemy until they just get hasty. Yeah. But uh, Yang's plan yeah. basically works. But just the fine. problem is that they tr- totally trash. Yeah, the yeah Yang fleet. trashes the enemy fleet, but and tries to get them to surrender, but. Unfortunately, not only is Luglanju a suicidal idiot, but it seems that the rest of his fleet are also suicidal idiots because yeah. when the writing's on the wall, when Yang basically is holding Luglanju's entire fleet at gunpoint and is like, please, please, for the love of God, surrender. Like, we don't need to keep doing this. Luglanju just shoots himself yeah, on it's camera. Like, like, fucking. Yeah, eat a dick. dick. Long live the name of our government. That's too long for me to remember at this point. But, uh, yeah, and so Young is... And and here's the thing, right? Like, you might think, oh, he'll kill himself and the rest of his fleet will acquiesce, but apparently Luglanju inspired a lot of uh, loyalty in his men because they also fight to the death. And Young is basically forced to destroy the entire 11th fleet. And... You know, truly, truly a good-for-nothing battle. Yep. Truly And, is. you know... And Bagdashu's like, hey, I'm gonna join you guys now! Right, so then Bagdashu's kind of our Anton Ferner of the uh, the FPA, where he's like, oh, Luganju lost? Uh, hey, you guys need a... I'm totally on your side. You guys need a, uh, you know, a, a competent or supposedly competent intelligence officer on your side? And we, well, uh, things, boy. it kind of, it goes back and forth between, I think it kind of goes back and forth between the two moments at the end of this episode. So, you know what, maybe we, we finish off with the fun part should we, and then. So we just continue talking about Bogdashu's yeah. Let's bit. talk about Bogdashu's bit first. Yeah. So, you know, Bogdashu's like, all right, yeah, I'll work for you now because like, you know, look, man. You know, principles are expedient to staying alive, essentially. Like, it's <laughs> yes. good to talk a big game, but at the end of the day, you know, I just want... I'm gonna do right. what keeps me alive. And so, Yang has this fantastic moment where he's like, alright, then Bogdashu, I have a single task for you. I want you to hold on to my sidearm until the day I need it. <laughs> I don't want yeah, I don't I, want to I can't shoot for gun. shit. Like, I... I'm completely worthless at everything that isn't tactics. And, you know, Bogdashu's like, oh yeah, well, what if I do this? And, you know, 
predictably points the gun at Yang. And then the camera pans up to who I thought was going to be Shen Cup, but is instead, no. it's motherfucking Julian ready to fucking go on Bogdashi. He would have He would have just pulled that trigger. Oh, yeah. He would have done Oh, you mean Shen Cup? No. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. I thought you meant like I thought you meant Shankar would have just pulled the trigger without thinking. But yeah, yeah. Julian wow. has his gun trained on Bogdashu this entire time, and it's just like, you know, he's betrayed his his side so easily. Yeah, for yeah. you, just and, as easily. You know, honestly, Julian's not wrong, but uh, yeah, Yang kind of just proves he's the smoothest motherfucker in this whole goddamn show. Who just leans back, puts his legs on yeah. his chair. Oh, it's so good. And he's just like, yeah, Uh, you know what? If Bogdashi wanted to shoot me, he already would have. If he wanted to kill me, I wouldn't be sitting here. But he hasn't. And As long as we're winning, he won't betray us. Yes, as long as we keep winning, he won't betray us. It's Also, maybe you shouldn't just kill a man. I mean, also that. But, you know. Look, they keep talking about about Uh, Julian's good with a gun. We're starting to see Julian, like... Getting pretty trigger happy, or not trigger happy. He's ready. He's ready to go if it means protecting Yang. So, like, I feel like that moment is coming. Where like something's gonna. I know, but I don't necessarily want it. To Neither happen. do I. But also, like, I feel like it's inevitable. Look, man, this show's 110 episodes long. I, I if Yang, if if Julian never fucking pulls the trigger, this whole show that will be like impressive in and of itself. But I'm not sure that's gonna happen. I know it'll happen. So. Anyway, oh, yeah. and after being smooth, yeah. Young gets the bad news of what happened on Heinous. Yes, yes. It's that, uh... And let's rewind a minute here. <laughs> yes, yes. I was about to get to that. Um, yeah, so basically, we were kind of talking about these two moments. Uh, not chronologically, because it kind of goes back and forth between the two. But uh, the other moment in this episode is uh, we are back on Heinousen. Where we have, yep. you know, Admiral Greenhill kind of getting the news that Yang totally fucked the 11th Fleet's shit up. And that, uh, not only that, but uh, now there are protesters forming um, in the streets of Heinesen. Yeah. And he's having trouble controlling his little council of... Right. Unlike Yang, Greenhill does not have a great bench. His bench is in fact filled mostly with fascists and bad ones at that. So, you know, they're all yeah. a little too trigger-happy for their own good, which, you know, could maybe speak to the naivete of Greenhill in this part, where he's like, uh, you, go deal with the protesters, but do it peacefully. Uh, don't shoot anybody. That is my order. Don't right. fucking shoot anybody. Uh, I was saying, like, my gut reaction, my, like extreme gut reaction was like ah Greenhill's is so dumb for expecting them to follow his orders but you kind of set me straight there he's not in a good situation oh oh that's what you're talking about yes yes so yeah. it's maybe worth talking about where again i don't necessarily mean to defend admiral greenhill after all he has overthrown the government right. and thrown everything into chaos but in many ways, Greenhill is caught in a very unenviable situation that actually has some interesting right. historical precedent that perhaps speaks to Yoshiyuki Tanaka's uh, familiarity with, in fact, perhaps his own national history. Because I believe in many ways, Admiral Greenhill is, and his situation is meant to be something of an analogy for 
the imperial military during uh, Japan in the world, you know, during World War II, and not even just World War II, but the years leading up to World War II. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar, one of the most um, dramatic moments in Japanese history during this time period is when a young officer in the uh, Japanese military assassinated a politician in broad daylight in the middle of a speech. I uh, just literally ran up and stabbed the dude. I cannot recall his name at this very second, but it was a rather... As you might imagine, stabbing a politician in broad daylight might be something of a minor controversy. But even more controversial than that, however, was actually the relative lack of punishment or condemnation from the military. The scary precedent this set for the Japanese military during World War II was if you were young and hot-headed enough, you could just kill your boss because you disagreed with them and take power. And right. this began to happen a lot. And it began to have some very disastrous effects on the composition of the Japanese imperial military. Because here's the thing. Let's say you're a hotshot young officer who's mad at his boss. And you tell your cronies, hey, fuck our boss. Let's go kill him. And you kill your boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you're like, yeah. awesome, hell yeah, do let's it. do it. And now you're the boss. You're the boss, dude. You have, yeah, it's yeah, great. you're our boss now. As long you as you don't believe in our right, boss, as long right? as you never piss us off, you'll keep being our boss. Unfortunately, maybe now that you realize you are sitting in the commander's chair, that you have set a dangerous precedent. That because it's okay to kill your boss if you disagree with him, now that you're the boss, your cronies. Probably think it's okay to kill you if you p- ever piss them off. Tug on the yeah, collar. And in many ways, that is Green Hill's situation. Green Hill has violently overthrown the FPA government. He has specifically shown to his underlings that it is ex- not only viable, but encouraged to violently change governments. Yeah. The problem is this sets the extremely dangerous precedent for Green Hill now that if like totally just overthrow right him. is that if he were to ever overplay his hand well then his underlings are just going to overthrow him and you know say what you will about green hill but he's at least trying to keep the order you know like he says literally like t- two or three times in this scene uh well we we need to remember that unity is of the utmost importance everyone yeah the most important thing we like, have. Like, Greenhill, like, actually understands, like, how precarious their situation is. Like, they are the occupying government. They need to act as quickly as possible to prove their legitimacy to the people of the FPA. And spoilers, shooting civilians in the street is an extremely right, uh, poor way to prove the legitimacy yeah, of your so, government. The, uh, there is a so like what, two hundred thousand people gather in a, some stadium to rally, rally for love and peace. Yes, even Vash the Stampede was there, <laughs> uh, led by one Jessica Edwards. Yeah, representative. Um, yeah, and the army shows up to restore order. You know. Yes, so the military shows up, and they're like, you know, such like, hey, break it up. No 
yeah, protesting's illegal. Didn't you watch? Didn't you watch our stream the other day? And uh, you know, Jessica's like, "Fuck you! We're peacefully protesting." Like, just gathering. Eat a dick. And the uh, the military uh, commander, you know, in control of the situation, basically is like, "Line up ten civilians. Line them up." Uh, and basically goes to the first one is like, "You're peacefully protesting, aren't you? Like, you believe you're willing to." Die for your convictions, aren't you? Don't you believe you believe in pacifism so much that you're willing to die? Right, for and like it? you know, shove my right, in your face. Him, you know, physically beats him, and is like, not so tough now, are you? And kind of moves on to the <clears> next <throat> guy, and he's like, how about you, huh? And dude's like, I have a family. He's like, well, you know, are you, you know, basically? So then you're a coward, and I dare, I dare you to contradict me as I hold you at gunpoint. We find, we get maybe one of the like best speeches in a show with a lot of great speeches, where yes. Jessica is basically some of the fucking past. right is like I mean essentially the crux of her argument is that conviction doesn't excuse horrible behavior. Like it's easy mm-hmm. to be the big man. It's easy to say you're doing the hard, making the hard decisions when you're the one holding the gun. You know, it's easy yeah, to like how how dare you claim. That you have more conviction, that these people are cowardly and not holding to their to their ideals so much for the tolerant left <laughs> when you've got a gun to their head. Yeah, it's like when you're holding effectively holding the right. hostage. It's like, uh it's actually a fantastic response to the often insidious argument used by extremists that if you're not willing to die for your beliefs, then you must not believe in them that strongly. Which is this how about screw? Yeah, it's it's just, it's this laughable it's this laughable you know idea that oh if you really believed in your ideas if you truly have conviction then you're willing to die and kill for them like and as as Young said last last podcasts like war always starts on the premise that people claim that things are worth dying for uh yes yes and. And that's kind of the crux of it, is essentially, you know, Jessica's arguing that just because people have things worth living for, just because people don't want to die, which is, if you ask me, an entirely reasonable, you know, position to take in life, yep. that they somehow, their opinions are less valid. And again, it's it's a very insidious kind of belief that is often used by extremists because extremists are that extreme, are that like, they are that rare, you know... Irrational, abnormal type of person who is so committed to a belief that they are willing to uh, to die for it. I found this particularly interesting because it's well, Legend of Black Heroes is an anime, and I feel like watch having watched a lot of anime in my time. There's a very large emphasis on like your heroic resolve. You know, like the heroes win because they've proven that their resolve is greater than that of the antagonist you know and so to have this whole speech about how resolve is ridiculous like, yes how dare you how do you make such claims based on such something as flimsy as resolve yes uh, you know there's you know again it's it's a very you know it's it's a very easy argument to buy into and like i think in very in many ways in many ways I think Legend of the Galactic Heroes is is explicitly repudiating this idea that is so common in other Japanese media. This idea yeah. that 
you know a true man dies for what he believes in or not even that but like how heroic sacrifice is you know think you know think of all the anime out there where the character makes one giant grand sacrifice in the name of the greater good and how that is like the pe- I mean, we love we we love that right. trope. Right. Oh, it's a, like, here's the thing. It is a great trope because it can be really emotionally satisfying to watch. But it does get to this idea that somehow dying is the highest form of devotion. The idea that death right. is the greatest and final answer to your ideology. In some ways, it's yeah. Well, turns out dying not great. No, no. Um, <laughs> you know, if I sum that up real fast, maybe I don't want to die. Sure. And <laughs> and yeah, so, uh, you know, basically the sum of this argument from Jessica uh, earns her a pistol whip to the head and then a savage beating that incites the rest of the crowd to, uh, to turn violent. You know, again, to kind of speak, they're like, "Hey, quit beating on our on our buddies," and then the army just opens right. fire. They open fire on these civilians, which leads to them, you know, rushing the military and uh, grabbing yeah, their guns and fighting back. And again, to kind of get back to that, you know, that paradox, so to speak, you know, this idea of like, oh, so much for your flimsy pacifist, you know, beliefs. You were so ready to pick up a gun and shoot back. Is in many ways, I think, speaks to a distinct uh, misunderstanding of the pacifist uh, protest movements of those such as Martin Luther right. King Jr. or Gandhi. You know, there is often this assumption that oh, peaceful protest is all well and good, but what about those elements of your groups that are fighting back that are getting violence? And I think it bears mentioning that. One of the intrinsic cores of peaceful protest is that peaceful protest is able to exist because theoretically it exists within the framework of a system that at least tolerates it or that it at least exists in a society that will condemn violent action upon it. Right. Yes. You know, say what you like, will about, you know, can only can only turn the other cheek if like the aggressor is framed poorly right. in the eyes of yes. everyone else. It it, it is it it is important to understand these movements only work because the alternative or not the alternative, but the, the, the receiving of violence is condemned by society as a whole, you know, say what you will about the myriad of opinions and beliefs that kind of were present during, for example, you know, the civil rights movement. Yes. The civil rights movement most the reason why it was able to work is because most of society by that point had accepted that you know it's a very bad look if the cops just start shooting black people protesting in the streets funny how things change over the years but <laughs> but Christ. but but that's a thing right like people are you know people say you know well, why don't you peacefully protest now? And it's like, you can only peacefully protest when you're not getting shot at, you know? If you're getting shot at, if violence is being threatened upon your livelihood of you and those you care about, then these moments never said violence was not an option. The principles of these movements was that violence was the final option, the one that should hopefully never come to pass. But when you're military, when your acting government is actively murdering civilians in the streets... What are you going to do, you know? You gotta 
Throw those Molotov right, cocktails. Right. It is an extreme bad faith of extremist movements to say so much for the tolerant left. Well, you truly right, right. You know, like if you truly believed in your message, you, 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 yeah, you know, you just let us do whatever right, the fuck we want. Right. If you truly believed in peaceful protests, you would let us shoot you. And you know, if you truly believed in free speech, I should be able to say whatever I want right. to you. And long story short, the riot goes bad. It goes very bad. Yep. To the point where lots of people yes, die. Um, I believe they say there is fifteen hundred military casualties and up to 15,000 uh, civilian Jesus casualties Christ. in this uh, protest. Well, not really a protest anymore. At this point, it's turned into an outright it's a, it's a riot, riot, a battle yeah. almost. You know, uh, to the, you know, it's bad enough that we got Admiral Greenhill saying, damn, those hotheads. But also, Ugh. maybe Greenhill, you should have seen this coming. I hate that I could see this happening tomorrow. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> in reality. Yes, like, yes, for sure. Maybe not to the same scale as you know, Legend of the Galactic no, Heroes, but this idea but... that the things that we view in this episode are deeply uncomfortable to watch because of how starkly relevant they are in 2018. You know, the the increased polarization of politics and the various movements that inhabit it, and the you know, just the very dangerous spread of a very decreased accountability right and and the spread of a, a very specific violent type of rhetoric that deeply upsetting is growing more and more acceptable amongst certain groups and maybe you know the way that legend of the galactic heroes helps contextualize this into the real tragedy it is is them you know that uh jessica edwards is killed in the riots and yep. um and i mean it is an anime made in the 80s, but boy, <laughs> not a lot of women, not too many women in this show. And... Yeah, I mean, you know, there there is certainly something to be said about like, oh, here is like, you know, one of the, mo the you know, most well-written and like politically relevant characters in this show. Let's have her die yeah. to motivate Yang. And, you know, obviously yeah. I think, you know, there's certainly something to be said about that, but you know, I think that I do yeah. think Jessica. I don't. I don't want to dwell well, too hard right. on that. Well, not but... only. I mean, yes, but also I think I think that would be uh, maybe being too harsh on Legend of the Galactic Heroes because I think. Yeah, I mean. Kinda, well, yeah. and you know, again, there's there, there's certainly yes, there is certainly a conversation to be had about it, but I do think for what little screen time she, she had, I think Jessica actually had a very good run in this, in this show. Absolutely. Like I think every moment Jessica shows up in is representing like what the the good of the fpa right? right and not only that but is you know yes unbelievably well written but also like idealistic in a relevant way she was she was idealistic but not naive. Right. like jessica was proof that the system is worth saving you know jessica was yeah or, or not that you know her alone of course but jessica was the personification that democracy is worth fighting for because even if things are bad now they can become better we can fight to be for it to yeah. be better we can we can lobby for it you know we can can run against the anti-war faction and win the yeah, election that like we can we can be and like she is the personification of how important political activism is how important it is for people's voices to be heard in that system because it is the only way you can change things. Because if you live in a system like the Empire, the only way to, for your voice to be heard, if it won't be listened to by those in power, is through violent uprising. It is through the direct yeah. application of violence upon people in power. And Jessica is this wonderful argument that it doesn't have to be that way. And she pays with her life for it. 
And yeah. if anything, you know, more than the, you know, the, the fridging aspect, the thing that I think is more deeply tragic is I feel like she was a character with a lot of potential. You know, I, yeah, I, I didn't see her dying in episode not 21. This soon. Like, like, here's the thing. I don't think Jessica was, look, I don't think any character in this show is guaranteed to survive the show. Like, frankly, I think right. every character uh, no, in this show not. has an expiration date. What episode that is, whether that's 50, 70, or 110 itself, I think Anyone right, it is that kind of show. But I didn't think somebody that relevant would, would be going this soon, I guess, you know? Like, yeah. it's and it's a shame because it... <sighs> In many ways, it will. Tr- I mean, you know, I'm, I don't want to say like, you know, we don't want to get in the whole like sort our online Kirito's fucking like, is this my punishment <laughs> thing, right? Like, oh, oh wow. is the harb of a woman somehow like my, you know, my cross to bear? But I will say, no. I think that it's it, it's hard to phrase it like this, but I do think that in many ways, it is moments like these that will truly test Yang's devotion right. to the ideals of democracy. Because here's the thing, quite frankly. It's hard to root for the FPA. It really is. Like, yeah, I'm, we're not really rooting for the FPA as much as we're rooting for Yang. Yeah, we... yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, that is not to ever say that we're rooting for the Empire. Like, <laughs> I, I, because here's right. the thing, I, I definitely get it, right? I definitely okay. Here's the thing. I'm gonna lay it out there. I'm gonna be assuming that Empire fans are arguing in good faith, mm-hmm. and not that you, and not that all Empire fans are just secretly, you know, fucking you know, neo-monarchist <laughs> crypto-fascists, Oof. you know, Oof. you motherfuckers. But, <laughs> but, but for the people out there who, who think that like, there is something valid to the empire's way of running things. I certainly get it because here's the thing. Yeah. Reinhard will take the throne. I don't know what episode, but he will take the throne. And I think yeah, I don't, I, I can't see that. not Reinhard will, I don't, I'm not gonna. I'm not so naive that I'm gonna say, "Oh, Reinhardt is gonna fix, you know, fascism or something." But some level of reform but will happen. He, he will improve it. We don't know how far he'll go. We don't know if that'll just extend to, "Oh, now the peasants aren't starving in the streets anymore," or like, "Oh, we opened up like a peasants or a common man's like parliament or something." We don't know how far it'll go, but he is going to improve the system, and I think it is easy to. I think it is easy to root for a horrible system that is inevitably going to get better. Right. We know for a fact it can't get any worse than this. Right. Essentially, it's that, right? Like, you know, it can't get any worse. Whereas it is extremely hard to root for the FPA sometimes because even if it is ostensibly the better system, the better, you know, society, it is. It's just so flawed. It is so flawed. And it is currently in its deepest, darkest, lowest moment. And. It's like you know, just yeah. It's it's so much. Yeah, it's a lot, and oh man, it's just this episode is so rough on Yang. Like again, I, I hate to keep bringing yeah. it back to Yang, but like I feel like so much of this episode is about how even when he wins, he fucking loses. Like, yep, he's done nothing but lose. This like, whole show, this whole goddamn show. show is just Yang losing and like recovering from it or like how does yang response respond to it you know yeah he wins the battle he defeats the 11th fleet congratulations and kills how many people like, you killed like how many tens or hundreds of thousands of fpa soldiers in that battle good job i guess and now you get to do it like maybe two three more times before the yeah. rebels are put down like 
yeah, just, uh, you know. Just, yeah. Front row seat to the collapse of democracy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, as, uh, you know, as Eero can attest, I think back when we were even watching uh, DNT, you know, when... <laughs> When the council voted on this whole war in the first place, after the capture of Ezerlone, so you know, all the way back when Yang captured Ezerlone and the council voted on the war, like to invade the empire, like I turned to Eero and I was like, this is how a government died. Like, this is how a society falls. You know, this is how a nation yeah. is destroyed. I thought it would maybe take 20 or 30 or 40 episodes. I did not expect yeah. the FPA to fucking crumble this fast, but this is where we it are. Truly, like it truly makes me wonder. Like again, this is only episode twenty-one, guys. We got like ninety episodes to go. Like yeah, we're twenty. We're like pushing twenty yeah, percent you know, of this show. One, we're, we're almost a like, fifth through. Do you seriously expect me to believe the FPA somehow survives the next ninety episodes of this show with how many fucking shit shows they go through every goddamn week? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but well, yeah, it's. I guess. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Indeed. Yep. I think we're going to call it a show, so we're going to do yeah. some housekeeping. So, as always, you can uh, you can find the podcast and the rest of our content on the Glorio Bog. <laughs> Talking too much today at thegloriolog.com. You can follow us on Twitter at thegloriolog. You can uh, find the podcast um, on YouTube if you just Google the Glorio Legend of the Glorio Heroes, because you know we don't have a URL, so. If you would be so kind, yep. like and subscribe and leave a good review and all that good shit. We're on iTunes we're on. and Podbean and such as well. Yes, we are. Um, you can always listen to our, I guess, sister podcast, the Glorio Chat, which is kind of a more generalized discussion just about the, you know, other anime that are airing that didn't air in 1988. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of the time. I don't know. When did Good Man air? <laughs> oh, that was a good question. But, uh... Oh, and yes, you can watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive. Oh, yeah. With that, I think we're going to call this another episode of Legend of the Glorio Heroes. As always, thank you for joining me, Eero. Thank you. And until next time, we'll see you amongst the Sea of Stars. <laughs> <laughs>